I'm here with gastroenterologist Dr. Sabine Hazen, who um, has uh, extensive research background and uh, knowledge of the uh, uh, gastrointestinal uh, system, the GI tract, um, and particularly uh, in the microbiome. Dr. Hazen, there's been some discussion over in recent years of the effects of the microbiome of our of our gut on general health on mental health issues um and and you're looking at uh, effects as well on aging do you, do you care to um to summarize a bit about what some key findings have been recently on the effects of the microbiome and the quality of our diet for example so what we've noticed, uh, I started on this path because I, I saw some things happening after doing fecal transplant, which is the process of putting stools from a healthy donor into an unhealthy donor, and seeing certain things happen when we tried to improve an infection called C. diff. Yeah. C. diff is a, uh infection that in the past we used to think was contracted by, you know, healthcare workers passing the bacteria to patients in the hospital. And over the last years, um, after, you know, doing fecal transplant, we've come to realize, you know, it, it may not be passed from the patients and the from the doctors and the hospitals to patients, but actually it may be because of the fact that we've given antibiotics over the years. Obviously, antibiotics are a necessity for certain infections. If you've got pneumonia, you need an antibiotic. But the problem is, what we noticed is when we killed off that pneumonia, that streptococcus pneumonia, which is a bacteria, we also killed off a lot of the good bacteria that were essential to sustaining a normal balance in the microbiome. So I like to always say every action leads to a reaction. So if you kill one thing, you have to anticipate that other things are going to start getting killed. And so I started myself on this path because C. diff was a bacteria that I tried to kill for so many years, only to find out that the only way to really calm it down, because you can't really kill it, you can only put microbes, fecal material, which is microbes, from a healthy donor back into the colon. So in other words, readjusting the microbes, readjusting the balance. And when you readjust the balance, you notice that, wait, C. diff is still there, but it's not secreting a toxin to create, to kill the host. And that's been kind of my path. While, you know, we did that, I tried to understand, well, how did I, you know, achieve fecal transplant cure for, co for C. diff, right? And so when that happened, I created the genetic sequencing lab. And then lo and behold, started realizing a lot of diseases have a gut imbalance. Alzheimer's. Not always the case, but definitely in certain patients with Alzheimer's, you can definitely see an imbalance in the gut flora. In autism, in certain patients, you could definitely see the imbalance in the gut flora. Um, and so that was basically my path. So when you start seeing the imbalance in the gut flora, you start saying, well, you know, there's something to what we're doing to our gut. Is it, are we eating the wrong foods? Are we taking in you know, meats that have antibiotics. You have to remember that it was only a couple of years ago that the FDA stopped the meat industry from giving meat antibiotics because they realized what we were doing was, you know, ingesting those meats with antibiotics and putting it in our own microbiome 
and therefore creating an increase in C. diff to, to, to be secreted. And so that's kind of been my path of discovery. Do we have all the answers? Do we know what's going on? Of course not. We're at the beginning of research, the beginning of science. I started 42 clinical trials on the microbiome and disease to understand, to understand aging, to understand um, what is it, why is a person that eats a salad gaining weight? Why is a person that's born in a family with triplets, two of the triplets are normal, but yet the one kid is autistic? What is going on there? So those are the questions we should all be asking so that we can, you know, understand and crack the code in a way on the microbiome. But if we don't start, we're never going to understand it. And we have to start. So I started with clinical trials and I started with, you know, bringing on my peers that have done fecal transplant to see the data, You're joining forces with Dr. Tom Barodi, who basically was the pioneer of fecal transplant to show him the data, bringing on Dr. Sheldon um, Jordan from UCLA, top uh, nephro uh, neurologist in the country, uh, and showing him the data on Alzheimer's and, in fact, working with him now to develop an assay to understand Alzheimer's a bit better so that we can fine-tune a cure potentially for these patients and fine-tune, understand the microbiome of autism to also, you know, potentially get a cure for these kids whose moms are suffering taking care of these kids. So that's been my path. Uh, so, obviously... Um a bad diet, um, uh, poor nutrition can be an effect. Obviously, antibiotics, uh, eating uh, antibiotic-contaminated uh, foodstuffs can be a factor. Uh, in, a, in addition to uh, the uh, attempt of, of fecal transplant to deal with more drastic cases, uh, are there um, changes in diet, uh, supplements such as prebiotics and and probiotics that can help with restoring the microbiome, Dr. Hazen? So, you know, my opinion with that is that everybody's different, right? So everybody's going to tolerate certain probiotics and everybody's going to not tolerate certain probiotics, right? So because what are probiotics? Probiotics are basically cultured bacteria. You know, when you look at your yogurt and you look at bifidobacterium in there, that's basically bacteria in your yogurt, right? So when essentially all our foods have bacteria and microbes in there, are those microbes appropriate for your microbiome? That's yet to be determined. I always tell my patients, if there's nothing wrong with you digestive wise and you're perfectly sound and you're perfectly happy, then don't change a thing because clearly you're doing something right. And especially if you've got longevity in your family, I wouldn't change a thing. However, if you have a history of heart disease, if you have a history of, you know, obesity and you're eating a dozen donuts, well, that's probably not a good idea, right? So certain things are important um, to see and, and abuse of anything is not a good thing. So if you drink one cup, one cup of coffee and we've noticed that in the microbiome, it actually improves your microbiome and settles it. But if you drink five, six, seven cups of coffee, it's probably not a good idea. Um, if you drink one glass of red wine, it's probably good for your microbiome. And we've seen those studies that have been done. However, five, six glasses or a bottle of vodka is probably not a good idea, right? Because you're sterilizing your whole gut and putting a whole bunch of alcohol in your, in your gut. 
So I think it's all individualized. I think everybody needs to see what is appropriate for them. And we're entering that world um, as physicians of trying to attain precision medicine. You know, I, I look at my patients and, and I see if there's a problem, I try to assess the risks and benefits of everything and, and try to guide them with diet. But that's going to be the future. The future is going to be this person should be eating this probiotic and this prebiotic. Certainly prebiotic fiber is a good thing um, for everyone. You know, you don't want to keep your bowels, you know, retain, retain those tools. You want to move as much as possible. And I think in general, if you have good, healthy stool, bowel movements, you're generally healthy. It's when you don't have those healthy stools and bowel movements that you have to seek advice and, and start looking into changing your diet. Uh, Dr. Hazen, in um, in your studies and your research, uh, has there been any uh, tangential correlation between individuals who have extensive problems with uh, diarrhea or constipation and uh, issues in their microbiome, um, including, you know, the diet? Yeah, so when you start seeing diarrhea, actually, and that's the best example there, you start definitely seeing an imbalance in the microbiome. Anything that shows a change in the bowel movement from floating stools, from small amount of stools usually um, signifies that there's a problem. And then when you look at the microbiome, you, you do see an imbalance in there. And same thing with constipation, by the way. There is some data that's coming out that constipation may be also an altered imbalance in the microbiome. We're not there yet, but definitely uh, that's coming down the pipeline. What would your recommendation be for anyone who has um, ongoing uh, issues related to their GI tract? Uh, obviously seeing a physician, but are there particular studies that should be done in cases where there are chronic conditions? Well, I think the first thing is determining chronic versus acute, right? So if a patient is coming to you or saying, you know what, I started noticing some blood in my stools, that's an alarming factor that needs to go to see a GI doctor right away, regardless of the age. We picked up, you know, we picked up a lot of young people, 22 years old with colon cancer, so if you have rectal bleed, definitely go see a GI doctor. If you're over the age of 40 years old and you have a change in your bowel movement, in other words, you were normal your whole life, all of a sudden you're constipated or all of a sudden you have diarrhea, that also needs to be seen and a GI doctor needs to evaluate that. Um, certainly things that are chronic, one has to wonder, well, if you started off like this as a kid, maybe you were born with the same microbe that your mom, and you take a history and you ask the patient and you kind of find out that the mother had the same kind of story and you start noticing that maybe the microbes were passed on to the mi from the mom to the child and that's why the kid has the same kind of imbalance which causes his constipation. So always, you know, family history is important to know, well, is this something that's common in your family? Um, I always think that any diarrhea, personally, for me, needs to be evaluated, whether it gets evaluated by a stool culture with a family doctor or whether it gets evaluated by a GI doctor to do a little bit further workup to make sure this is not Crohn's disease. Um, you know, obviously, 
irritable bowel syndrome, which we all know about is a spastic bowel, sensitive bowel. Um, you know, irritable bowel syndrome is a diagnosis of exclusion, right? But you want to always make sure that you've, you've removed all the stuff that it could also be. You don't want to miss a, um, you know, a Crohn's disease or an ulcerative colitis. And I think that's very important. So, you know, anything new needs to be seen by a doctor, in my opinion. Anything that's chronic, um, you know, if it's that debilitating, needs to be seen by a doctor. But if it's something that's you know, short term, you've had diarrhea for two weeks and then it changed, you increased probiotics or prebiotics, or you know you took some antibiotics and it altered your gut, well, probably start eating a yogurt, um, Activa yogurt, I'm very big on that, Kefir, uh, Manuka honey, all those natural probiotics that are, you know, uh, I'm very big on that. So I think that's my first recommendation. If that doesn't help, then definitely get seen by someone. Don't. And then for constipation, obviously fiber, you know, change, look at your diet. You know, the big no-nos for me are chocolate, uh, rice, white bread. So if your diet is full of chocolate, you're eating chocolate all day long, well, you probably want to cut down on the chocolate and eliminate that. If your diet is full of white bread and, and white pasta and, and white rice, well, you probably want to cut down and start increasing fiber. And changing that and bringing on some vegetables and lettuce and then sweet potatoes, things like that, that kind of increase the fiber in your diet. Dr. Hazen, as as you may be aware, uh, one of the uh, challenges that many health uh, practitioners have with patients is that there often is a family uh, history, a stigma uh, in discussion of these issues of the GI tract, uh, many people are hesitant to uh, get colonoscopies or to uh, follow up on uh, symptoms because they're embarrassed by the fact that it's dealing with the GI tract. Are there any um, any things that you would recommend that that uh, individuals consider when they're embarrassed about approaching a physician or health practitioner about such symptoms? Well, I think the first thing is finding a practitioner that you can relate to, right? So someone that you feel it would listen to you. So if a physician gives you 10 minutes and then you're, you know, doesn't answer your question and you don't develop that relationship, um, that's probably not someone you want to go to. So I think developing the relationship, but also, you know, understanding physicians are extremely busy. Um, you know, the, the system is so uh, chaotic with the insurances and the data entry into the computer and everything. So, you know, an understanding of the busyness of the physician and, and really developing that relationship because you have to feel comfortable. I'll always remember a case of an 18-year-old who came to me for rectal bleed and she didn't feel comfortable talking to me. So I brought in her mother um, to speak to me about it, and she didn't want to have a colonoscopy. She was scared. And it turns out I said, I turned to the mom just on a gut instant. I said, well, you must have had a colonoscopy. Surely you can tell your daughter that it's no big deal. The mom was 55 years old, and she said, no, actually, I'm scared of having a colonoscopy, and I never had it. So that day I realized, you know what, I probably should focus on the mom faster than the daughter. And so I scheduled her on a Monday for a colonoscopy, and wouldn't she know it, she had stage one colon cancer. 
So, you know, it, there's a fear factor and, and people need to get over the fear because they've got to, you know, the earlier you catch things, the better it is. The longer you wait, the longer you're not going to, you know, it's going to be harder to fix. And on the other spectrum, you know, I had another patient who came to me and would say, doctor, every day, every day I'm dreaming that I had, I have colon cancer. And I would say to him, well, then you need a colonoscopy. Do a colonoscopy if you're dreaming of colon cancer, right? Two years later, wouldn't you believe it? He didn't do his colonoscopy, didn't want to do it. And then he had colon cancer that was already spread. So I think taking on the fear, listen, we're all afraid, you know, especially with this virus. This virus has brought on the fear factor in everybody. But we need to realize that we have to live and we have to be strong and we have to be courageous. And life is not easy for anyone. And we have to, you know, be warriors and say, you know what, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to do my colonoscopy. And then if I have something, I'm going to get rid of it and then move on. And that's, that's my attitude. That's been my attitude in life. That's how I faced my own colonoscopy. And I had it cold turkey without any anesthesia. So I think you have to face life that way, right? I mean, the same way people go down skiing and they can, you know, take on those moguls. They have to take on their lives and say, you know what? I, if I can do those moguls and ski down this mountain, I can do a colonoscopy. I can talk to my doctor and feel comfortable about this. It shouldn't be taboo. It should be something you should be talking about it. Stools is not something that we should be embarrassed about. It should be something that we're talking about it so that we can help people. Because at the end of the day, your stools tell you what's going on in your body and are a, per, uh, a beginning of what's going on in your body. These kids that have autism, a majority of them have GI symptoms. It's not coincidental. It starts in the gut. Hippocrates said that. All disease starts in the gut. So we have to pay attention to the soul. Dr. Hazen, uh, of course, we've been talking about the effects of diet, things that are taken in, including antibiotics. How important is exercise in the health of the intestinal tract? It's very important. It's very important for the heart. My husband's a cardiologist. He will tell you, get on your bike because you got to circulate that blood vessel. Those blood vessels need to pump up and they also circulate to feed the blood vessels, feed the bowels, right? If you don't have oxygen and blood going into your bowels and basically moving your bowels, then the bowels are stagnant. So, and you notice that people that stay in the hospital and that are bedridden are constipated, right? because they're not moving their bowels. They're, they're staying in bed ridden. So it's important to, exercise is very important, and, and, and I recommend it for anyone. Dr. Hazen, as we begin to wrap up, um, from your uh, perspective, uh, personal or professional, uh, what are the most important things that you uh, would advise to anyone for good GI health? So the first thing is don't overdo it with certain foods. Diversify your food. If you're eating French fries every day, it's not a good idea. So it's okay to eat French fries once a week, but diversify. I think diversity we're noticing in the gut microbiome is very important. Um, the other thing is understand where your food comes from. Where does your meat come from? Where does your milk come from? 
Where does where was the yogurt made? Um, you know, all these things are very important. Don't just believe what's told to you on a commercial or from a friend of something that's worked for them. Doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So I think those are the, the key things is always challenge every commercial that tells you this is going to be good for your bowels or this is going to be good for your, your, your digestive tract because it may be good for one person, but it may not be good for you. And, and always remember that whatever you put in that's new can start, if, especially if you're healthy, it can start a chain reaction of getting into the non-healthy. And always remember, one action leads to a reaction. So if you put something in your mouth that's an antibiotic, know that it's probably going to kill a whole bunch of microbes. So you need to replenish that with a good yogurt, good nutrition, and good health, you know, and decreasing stress. That's also very important. I'm, I'm all into exercise, but also meditation, yoga, breathing, decreasing your stress. As much as, you know, some people work super hard, they need to also take time with their families and relax and do nothing in order to create the balance in the system. Because if you go, 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 eventually you're, you're going to crash. And so I think that those are my, my two cents as we wrap up. And Dr. Hayes, and you touched upon this uh, a moment ago, but uh, there is has been such a proliferation uh, 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 over broadcast, uh, uh, now online, of so many um, remedies, so many cures, so many uh Treatments, most of them um, not necessarily vetted through any study. Um, would would you recommend first to visit uh, a health practitioner, a physician, before attempting any of these uh, supplements that are proliferating out there? Yeah, absolutely. I always I always think you should always have the guidance from a physician. If the physician cannot help you, but at least ruled out the, the heavy strong, the heavy stuff. So for example, you don't have colon cancer. You don't have Crohn's disease. You don't have an inflammation. And now you're at the, the, the area where, you know, is it irritable bowel syndrome? My doctor's not really helping. Then at that point, you speak a nutritionist, a dietitian, someone that's very, you know, confident in, in understanding the microbiome, understanding the prebiotics and the probiotics. And, and so I think that's very important. I've been speaking with a gastroenterologist, Dr. Sabine Hazen, uh, creator of Progena Biome, a genetic research sequencing laboratory uh, with uh, next-gen whole genome shotgun sequencing capabilities. Um, she wrote a book, which I actually can't announce on the air. I'm afraid uh, it's, it, it starts with let's talk and then followed by a four-letter word, but you might imagine what that is. Um, so does a sense of humor become very important in communicating your findings, doctor? A hundred percent. I wrote the book because I didn't, I, and I know it's a word that's taboo, but it shouldn't be taboo. And I think I didn't want to camouflage it and say microbiome because microbiome is just beautifying the word. And in a world where we're entering, you know, fecal material in a capsule, we need to understand what's at stake and what's coming. 
especially with procedures like fecal transplant, the public needs to understand uh, what's coming. And so that's why they can always find it, find it by going, let's talk and Dr. Sabine Hazen, they'll find it on Amazon. But essentially, a sense of humor is very important. Without laughter, we have no life, right? Without, you know, um, happiness and being happy, we have no life. So those are the things we want, right? We want to be happy. We want to be smiling. And I think if I bring, you know, a smile to a person that's uh, a little bit sad, but they read this book and it makes them, you know, you know, understand this complex topic in a human you know, in a, in a funny way, then, you know, that's, that's what I uh, strive to accomplish because it is a serious topic. And I'm not saying that it's, 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 it's funny. Any of healthcare is funny, but at the same time, we have to give hope to people and we have to make them feel like they're going to be fine. And I think our role as physicians and especially physicians on the research Track, which is what I am. I'm not, you know, practicing GI anymore. I'm mostly doing research. Um, you know, it's important to give hope to people that there's going to be a new drug that's going to help them or a new medication or a new food, you know, with microbes that might rebalance their gut. And that's what we want. And that's what I want. And, you know, hopefully we can do that in a nice uh, pattern. All right. Well, th- thank you very much, doctor. Uh, really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.